You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Good evening, Hayley people. Welcome to episode 144 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. My name is Matt Phillips, creative at live.com. And as always, this episode is being recorded live on a Tuesday at eight o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. So yes, if you are listening to the podcast, and thank you very much, be so kind as to leave a rating and a review. That'd be great. It just helps the good word of our guests um, appear higher when people do searches on Google and stuff like that. Um, but yes, we do have people joining us um, Glenn Murphy is already in the room. Hey, Glenn Murphy, if you do join us live by coming to these uh, YouTube channel, then you can ask questions to the guests and I can bring your comments up onto the screen. It's a great way of networking. I always say this every time, but it's just to let you know um, that you're not alone. You can come and join us on a Tuesday evening here. We've been here 144 weeks in a row. It's great. It's what we do. Alistair Cunningham is in the room as well. Hey, Alistair, how are you doing? Thank you very much for joining us. I'm, going to, I'm picking up some new glasses on Friday. I can't even read these comments. Deborah Slugimus. There you go. Without hesitation. Hi, this is my first time. Deborah Slugimus. You're going to have to correct my pronunciation somehow, Deborah. Just tell me if it's close. Um, great, great. We love getting new people in here. Thank you very much for joining us, Deborah. Um, feel free to ask questions of our guests once we get started. And Gary, founder of the SDA, is in here as well. Apologies for my tardiness. You're excused. Penny's in the room as well from Soma Sports Massage Therapy. Loads of people coming in. It's great. Fantastic. So, yes, here we are, Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, our focus this month is CPD happening April to June, either online or face-to-face in the UK. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. Every month we have a focus, and uh, this month it's all about CPD. Continued professional development, I think, is the normal way of um, translating that. Uh, before we get into that, um, a big thank you again to our last week's guest, Tim Allardyce, for another hugely informative um, first Tuesday of the month episode of Ask Tim. It was a rehab exercise special a week ago in which Tim answered your questions, uh, questions which you all sent in to me at matt at the sta.co.uk, um, on anything to do with rehab exercise prescription. Um, totally recommend you actually check out this episode on YouTube. If you're a podcast listener, then it will be, it is already on podcast apps, but Tim uses, um, we have my patient um, screenshots to go through some answers, some fantastic questions on uh, regression, progression, sets and reps, functional exercise, and all the kind of rehab exercise related stuff you can imagine. Um, it did coincide and Tim hated me asking him to do this, but it did coincide with a fantastic release of a new section on Rehab My Patient, of which Tim is the founder. He, he was really keen. You'll hear it wasn't an advertising thing for him uh, or Rehab My Patient, but it did kind of show what a great bit of kid it is. So, yeah, I do recommend you watch that on YouTube if you listen to podcast. Um, it's worth seeing it to uh, follow Tim's explanations. But anyway, so that was uh, last week and we are here now. Episode 144, Focus on CPD. And we're going to kick off the Focus on CPD with somebody who regular listeners will know I rate very, very highly. I think I've sung his praises at last year's Therapy Expo where he was a speaker and also Therapy Expo the year before where... Um, he, he just let me down, said he couldn't do it. No, he didn't. It just um, it just didn't happen. But I wanted him there two years ago, finally got him last year, and he's been on the show a couple of times. This is Dr. Gary Mendoza, founder of Stages of Change, um, whose online motivational interviewing and behavior change course I actually did a couple of months ago. 
Um, and also joining us shortly will be two other attendees of the course I did, Stephanie Hibbard and Tracy Taylor. And we're going to be discussing, along with Gary, um, the importance of understanding um, behaviour change and its relevance to soft tissue therapists um, and introducing people. Hopefully some of you are not aware of what motivational interviewing is, introducing you to concepts from that. Um, and how that can give therapists the tools to help clients make those necessary behavior changes, whether we're talking about rehabilitation from injury or improving nutrition or enhancing performance or whatever. So there we go. That's that's what's happening today. People are still filling up the live land, which is wonderful to see. Thank you so much for joining us live. We do appreciate it. Um, and just before I bring up these lovely people, Deborah Slujimas has said pronounced Slamas. There we go. OK, thank you. Deb. I'm just going to call you Debs now. Thanks, Debs. Slamas is. Right, without further ado, we'll kick off um, CPD part one with Dr. Gary Mendoza, Stephanie Hibbard, and Tracy Taylor. Let's bring them up. Dr. Gary Mendoza, how are you doing? Hi, everybody. Thanks for inviting us on, Matt. Oh, thanks for coming back. No, I appreciate it. And Steph is now here as well. Hey, Steph, how are you doing? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, and Tracy Taylor's in the room as well. How are you doing, Tracy? Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's so nice, isn't it? Because we were all together, like, was it two months ago, doing Gary's course? And normally yeah. it's like the end of a prom dance or something, isn't it? You just say goodbye to each other, realising <laughs> you're not going to see each other ever again. And yet here we are, all brought together <laughs> by one common man. <laughs> Um, Dr. Gary Mendoza. So, no, brilliant. It's, I'm excited. I'm glad you've all um, agreed to come along to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, Gary, I mentioned before you were a speaker at Therapy Expo last November, yeah. um, both in the main theatre and with us in the STA theatre. You've been on this show a couple of times already as well with nutrition, which is your original passion and love, I believe, back in episode 99. Yeah. Um, and then also in episode 117, if people want to listen to other episodes with Dr. Gary Mendoza. Um, and, yeah, so my first question to you was, do you feel you've been doing this an awful long time, but do you feel now that there has been a change in the climate where soft tissue therapists, as well as personal trainers, are understanding that behavior change is more an important topic than they once realized? I, th I think it's slowly we're kind of raising awareness of it. I mean, people will talk about it now, whereas if I look back even five years, it was certainly in the leisure industry, nobody talked about behavior change. It was all about exercise prescription and just working with your clients, but nobody really talked about how you actually work with a client, which is a completely different kind of take on things. So, yeah, I think there is a heightened awareness, and, but where you can kind of gain those skills is kind of limited at, still. Meaning that you're still top dog. Is basically what you're saying there, isn't it? Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's basically, limited. Michael, we have you. Yeah, that's it. No, I mean, I get that impression as well. I think it's really healthy. I, I really do. And I've said it before, and I don't want to kind of like go on too much for people have heard me singing your praises before, but what you teach fits in so nicely with You're this listening kind of to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Therapist does evidence not back just using into our soft hands. tissue therapy. We still use our hands. We, if anything, we know more now about the therapeutic benefit of touch with the nervous system, but we also understand we're a facilitator as opposed to an operator and we're using our mouth and our ears possibly more than our hands for the benefit of the client. So have you seen that? Do you feel that there's much more of a place now with soft tissue therapists in particular with regards to what you teach? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, 
I, I see it more with, I started out with the leisure industry, but now I do a lot more with therapists. I do a lot more with nutritionist dietitians as well, because I think anybody that's in those kind of helping professions, as it were, if you want to kind of put it under that umbrella, the client might come to you for one thing, but actually the whole relationship becomes a lot bigger than that. And it has to. And if, if you can't facilitate a kind of a well-rounded relationship, then it's likely the client will kind of drop out at some point. And it might not just, it might not be that you're a bad therapist. It's just that we haven't got the communication skills and you kind of missed out when there was a few hints given to you. And so if you can kind of improve your communication skills, not only is it better for you, but it's way better for the client. I think that's really healthy because I remember as we moved away from the kind of hands-on model of fixing people and bending people back into shape and symmetry, there was a fear amongst therapists of, but that's my business model. Every patient who walks through my door, I know I've got to see them for six appointments and my fascial release program lasts six weeks. So it's perfect. I can do this to them. And, and there was suddenly it felt like this kind of biopsychosocial approach was telling people, oh, I don't need to see you. you can look after yourself. Go away now after a day, you know, after one visit. And that's not a business model. But I think your course also helps realize what you've just said. Just because someone comes in thinking they just need one little thing, it turns out that that therapeutic alliance is going to need to be longer than that supporting them to help them actually make that change and not just sending them away so exciting stuff Steph and Tracy I'm so pleased to see you two again it's so nice um who should we bring up for Steph go on you tell us can you start Steph tell us a little bit about what you do for listeners who don't know you and then also tie that in with why you chose to do um Gary's course sure so um I work as a performance coach for an F1 team which is quite a broad um title um, in itself, because it goes from anything from group training, personal training, to health checkups, manual therapy, sports therapy, whatever we need to see people for. And to be fair, I've seen Gary, I think, on a few podcasts and heard him speak and then saw him at Therapy Expo last year. And it was just like, yes, I need to do the course because I need to talk to people better and get more of a story from them. So that I'm not just asking the basic questions all the time and not getting that feedback from them. And I know it's not something I'm kind of born into. I'm very much like, OK, then. So we'll just crack on. <laughs> so it was just nice that you suddenly get this conversation. And it's like, yeah, we're building that relationship and they will offer more and then you can work with it. And it's also they don't always answer your questions the first time around. So it's, it's a nice one for me. So what was it that you when you said you realized straight away you needed help with that. Did you notice there was a gap in your own ability to communicate or, or help people kind of? Kind of, yes. I think for me, it's certainly doing from the sports therapy side is coaxing more of their story. So for example, someone kind of, they've got a bad shoulder. They're not really quite sure what's happened, but the more you speak to them two years down the line, they actually broke it for whatever reason. <laughs> it's just like, okay, so that was information you should have given me, but for whatever more and I think the course also showed me that I ask a lot of closed questions even though I think they were open <laughs> that's well, we're getting technical now <laughs> I can see Tracy's face thinking oh my god don't ask me what a closed question is. <laughs> <laughs> no that's so cool it's so it's so geeky but so important that people should know 
you know that's the first thing you learn isn't it in education i come from an education history and one of the things was like no the difference between open questions and closed questions yeah. but as therapists you're never taught that you're not taught today we're going to do soft tissue release then some mets and then some closed questions it just doesn't you know open questions it doesn't happen like that and yet it is such a gap okay so that's very interesting okay and tracy i don't want to leave you in the cold for too long what's your situation what do you do professionally how did you discover that you could benefit from gary's course so I am a massage therapist. I've been a holistic massage therapist for quite a few years. Um, I opened my own business in 2021. And then I, oh, I just finished uh, last weekend my level five soft tissue therapy qualification. Um, yeah, and I think I just, I'd been listening to podcasts like yours and, you know, seeing in articles and things like that, that you know, practical skills are any part of the process and then actually how we engage with our clients, that therapeutic alliance is equally, if not sometimes more important than what we're doing practically. Um, so after hearing Gary's pod on this podcast, um, I thought, yeah, that's perfect. That's just, it's, that sounds exactly what I need to kind of bridge that gap. It worries me listening to you too, because I know that you did your courses with fantastic educators who are in our bubble. You know, so you have Mike Grice and you were with Tracy. Yes. Who did you do your level five with? So it was an ISRM qualification with the Cambridge School of Sports Massage. Okay, yeah. So ISRM have been up in their game and changing their syllabus and, uh, you know, thanks to the likes of Anna Marie and people like that getting involved. So it's been... I'm aware that it sounds like therapists now on this wonderful new page. You mentioned therapeutic alliance and the need for conversation and, you know, hands on can only do so much. But our industry as a whole, with the exception, are we? Do you still feel like we're the exception when you go onto Facebook and look at social media posts? And Or do you think the industry is changing? This goes out to anybody. Oh, I think it is changing, but it's still one we're fighting for because we have physios on site as well. And, you know, they're more recognised that potentially what I could be recognised with sports therapy is one of the reasons I listen to podcasts is kind of like, how do you get across this? I am just as valuable as somebody else. Yeah, that is an important message as well, isn't it? I mean, Gary, you, you see, it's not all soft tissue therapists, obviously on your courses, but do you get to kind of learn about where different sectors are like the leisure industry soft tissue therapists nutritionists do you see their evolution evolution as well i think you pick up on it because um you know regardless like i said at the start i get nutritionists personal trainers dietitians therapists and some will talk about other people that i've kind of come across from the kind of psychological behavioral change background so even two, three years ago, people would not have mentioned them. They wouldn't have even known who they were. So clearly that information is getting out there and people are now starting to access it because I think they can see the value of it. But it's a, it's a slow process. If you look at, like I've been in the leisure industry 30 odd years, I've been a personal trainer and it's only really in the last decade that they've really started to get their heads around nutrition. So it takes a long time for a lot of industries to pick up on what's really important and, and what they need and what they're missing. Uh, it's, it's, this will mean nothing to people listening to the podcast, but 
one of the things on Gary's courses we learn, and Steph and Tracy will understand this, is, and this is something therapists need to do as well, is just because somebody you're talking to stops talking, you don't just jump in with something, you just give a pause and you learn to appreciate the silence. So every time any of you three are talking, I'm feeling like, do not talk now, just pause and they'll come up with something else. And that's rubbish for a podcast because you just get these blanks of nothing going on. But Gary, honestly, in all of these situations, I would normally pause and just let the person continue speaking. I can't do it now because it's a podcast. But um, but yeah so we'll forget about that for now we're going to come on to that later on i want to get into like the details of the course and give people some ideas of, of what you walk away with and why they're applicable for soft tissue therapy but to start off gary i mean the name of your website if people are interested is is stages of change so go to www.stagesofchange.co.uk um maybe for people who aren't aware a good place to start is what stages of changes why you took that name Right, okay, Stages of Change comes from um, two psychologists, Prochatska and Di Clementi, and they hypothesise that when people make any type of behavioural change, they go through set stages. And so it's kind of a journey that people go on when they decide to make a change. It was first um, used in smoking cessation, then it kind of moved into alcohol, drug abuse, that type of area. And in the past 20 years, I would say, it's been used a lot more in uh, weight management, obesity, exercise behavior and nutrition behavior. And so what basic kind of quick overview, the first stage is pre-contemplation. So that's you're not even thinking about changing. So if anybody knows somebody that smokes and you were to say to them, oh, you need to stop smoking, you'll, you know, you'll die of heart attack or whatever. They'd be like, nah, not interested. Don't want to know. That's a pre-contemplator. You then get contemplation. So now you're starting to think about it. So from a therapist perspective, it could be somebody that's got a bit of a niggle in their back or the shoulder or something like that. And they've always had it there, but now they're starting to think, maybe I need to do something about that. So now they start to do a little bit of research around it, find out what maybe the pros and cons of resolving that situation might be. They then get to a point where they're kind of ready. Well, actually, they added a new stage, which was a very short stage, which is preparation. And so in that stage, they might start Googling you and looking at what you do and what's your website and what you can help them with. They're kind of almost there, ready to go. And then ultimately, they move into action. And that's the point at which they contact you, join the program, whatever, and then they engage in treatment. Hopefully at the end of treatment, you move them to a point where you've resolved their problem and all's good. And they then move into the final stage, which is maintenance, where you're basically maintaining the behavior. Now, the relevance of all those stages is people can jump from any stage to any stage. It's not necessarily linear. So someone can go from being a pre-contemplator into action very quickly but then they might equally just after a few weeks say, I've had enough of this and go back to pre-contemplation and not want to know. And that goes with treatments of injuries as well. They might try it for a couple of weeks, think oh, I'm not getting anywhere with this and just leave it. And you'll never know why. And, and that's what the stages are. And so what motivational interviewing does is it helps people progress, move through those stages. basically. So that's why I chose that as my company name. Stages of change, definitely. And I think that's really relevant to, I'm trying to, as you were talking about it, I always think of examples, everyday clinic, people turning up and, and it's always there for soft tissue therapists because especially as soon as you're giving advice, which normally is going to be a lifestyle change or, or handing out some type of exercise for them to do, 
if you, if, if for example, like Gary just said, if they're in the pre-contemplation stage and maybe they were given a, and then maybe the classical one is where somebody's been had their session paid for by a member of the family or a friend, and they've just come in for a massage or something, and they've kind of said, oh, my back's a bit achy as well. And maybe you've discovered what's going on, or you really wanted to change something. You can waste so much time and, and effort by handing them all of this stuff them to do if you don't recognize that they're in this pre-contemplation stage and they're not ready to make that change, you know? So part of the idea of the course, and you have to correct me if I'm wrong, Gary, is to understand when these people come into our clinics, what maybe what type of exercise we give out, how we hand it out, how many we give out, whether we give out exercises or whether we just try and get them to come in for another visit, first of all, you know, so we're not wasting our time and, and losing a potential client. Is that fair enough? Yeah, I, I think that's really valid. I mean, I, I get this quite a lot with personal trainers where I'll say to them, look, if your client's not ready, you've, you're actually better off spending a bit of time with them just talking. Mm. don't even get to going to talk about exercise just find out and so as you guys know that first stage is engagement and if you haven't got good engagement then actually anything you try to do after that you are banging your head against a brick wall so it's really important that you understand what engagement is and also when you've got good engagement when you can kind of move to the next point and don't necessarily always be in a charging hurry to go oh, look, all right they need to get some hands on away we go otherwise i'm not doing my job because actually your job is to understand and communicate correctly with your client yes indeed steph and tracy can you relate to that can you think of examples where maybe the old you the the, the, the pre-gary you would have jumped in with i've got this amazing exercise for you i'm going to fix you i know what you got to do this is what you're going to do and then why do they not come back why have they not done it to now where you can actually start reading clients and thinking, right, this is what I'm going to do with this individual. Is it something that you managed to see now? Yeah, absolutely. I think I still kind of sometimes go in with exercises, but I've dialed them right back now. So it is more of a conversation. They are still moving because they've come in and they want something. So it's okay. So if I will give you something that I know you want, but it may not be necessarily what you need right now. But at least we can have a conversation. You're not fighting for breath or whatever else it is. And then I can, you can glean a little bit more because they suddenly relax. They suddenly, you know, they break down that wall a little bit. They suddenly hopefully trust you a little bit more. And I guess they do it. But the most important thing is you notice they've done it. You can read and see the signs now that their shoulders have gone down a little bit, that they're the way they're talking and answering questions. They're actually showing that they've moved maybe into contemplation or preparation or something. Definitely, definitely. I've had a, a few people recently, certainly after the course, where, you know, they'll, they'll talk about stuff that they would have never talked to me about, you know, even if it's just family life or you can, you can see the wall coming down brick by brick. And it's just like, oh, this is nice. We're, we're like mates now. So I can tell you that oh, actually we need to do this now. And they're like, they trust me, which is, I think, a good thing, because then it's like, OK, now we're going to step it up a bit. That's so interesting. And, and they've opened up thanks to the words and the way you've put things together and reflected and done all the stuff Gary yeah. gave you. I think it's because I've calmed down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, right, burpees, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I'm Tracy. What about you? Have you noticed that you can read people better now and you're kind of a little bit more reading them rather than just handing out what you've learned? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I mean, obviously for me, I'm very early in my career with uh, soft tissue therapy I think the kind of 
the understanding of what stage they're at as in are they ready to even acknowledge that they need to make changes I think especially with soft tissue therapy sometimes people come in expecting to be fixed um, and they haven't even considered that they might actually need to make some changes themselves um, so I think that's where motivational interviewing is really you know useful in kind of working through that engaging with them and getting to that point where you can give them the advice and they're actually going to take it on board and um, yeah you know I, I see quite a few people that or you know already that have come to me and they've been to see a physio they've been handed their sheet of exercises they've maybe done them a couple of times but they don't mean anything to them so they've not carried on with it and you know they're back to square one and that's it so I think that's where maybe a soft tissue therapist we've got that you know this this could be really useful and something that kind of sets us apart a little bit in that way having a bit more time to engage with people that's really interesting and and what I picked up on there was where you said they come in expecting to be fixed and that's something else where I think and I'll ask you Gary about this in a in a second a lot of our patients do come to us with a lot of preconceptions and misconceptions and baggage from what they've read they've got to google maybe the last therapist what they think they should be doing and one of our jobs is to try and re-educate them but that's going to take a lot of what the skills which you give is that right Gary to, to you can't just say this is rubbish what the last person told you is rubbish because that's not going to get them together is it so no, how do I mean, you do it that, that would just put more barriers up mm. I think I think it's one of the hardest things for anybody that's an expert in a field is because you kind of think oh I've got all this expertise so I want to offload it and tell somebody about it but the fact of the matter is that if you take that approach yeah it's most probably dead accurate what you're telling people but it'll just go in one ear and out the other and so you kind of, it's almost like you've got, it's a bit like planting a seed. You need to prepare the ground first. And if you've prepared the ground well, then when you put the seed in, it will grow. But if you just charge in there with obnail boots and try and trample that seed in, well, it, it ain't going to grow. You know, it, that, that's the end of the story. And so having a bit of patience and kind of helping the, the kind of client get on board with the process and understand how it works and using their knowledge because they most probably do know to some degree what they need and so we shouldn't overlook that we should listen to what they already know because they might already have a pretty good clue and if they have that is just so helpful because now the idea is coming from them so it is a case of just rein yourself back a bit and as you guys know beware the writing reflex because we've all got it oh, yeah. and it's like trying to tame it sometimes is, is a bit of a nightmare yeah expand on that expand on the writing reflex because that would have just gone over a lot of heads what is okay, the writing so, reflex? so the writing reflex is like if, I, if you take my scenario as a nutritionist and i get this quite a lot if i go out and i always tell my wife if ever we're out tell people i'm a toilet cleaner because then they won't ask me about my job <laughs> whereas if she says oh he's a nutritionist and he really understands weight management that's it i'm going to spend the whole evening talking about diets and what have you so somebody's in the pub and they go oh yeah well what i need to do for weight management is the keto diet because that's the best diet going now my writing reflex would go no 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 you don't want to do the, the keto because that doesn't work and it does this and it does that and does that that's your writing reflex you hear something 
and straight away you want to put it right. It's like, no, no, what you should be doing. So you get a client comes into you and they go, oh, I've got a frozen shoulder. And what I need to do for a frozen shoulder, because I've seen it on Google, is da, 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 da. And straight away you go, no, that's completely wrong. The latest research says it's this and it's that. Rather than do that, listen to what they say, and then you can correct them in a way that the information will be taken on board. But if you jump in there with both feet, your writing reflex kicking in, then odds are it, what, what you'll tend to get is pushback because they, they already think they're right. And so by you going, no, I'm right, well, now we've got a battle. It, it becomes a battle of wills and, and nobody's going to win that fight. Yeah, definitely. We got some good comments in the chat. Let's go in. Expand, expand, Steph. You got me. I told Shall you. I go Gary Benson yeah. first. I, I think okay. he's trying to promote you. Uh, <laughs> Let's bring it up. I'll read it out though. There Gary Benson, founder of the STA, says, using the focus of the web chat, how does the industry get the newer therapists to change their mindset from simply adding modalities to their toolbox? Obviously, STA web chat is a great start. <laughs> um, so yeah, anybody can answer that. How do we? help i mean do we just make sure that everyone's got to go through gary's doors before they're allowed to talk to people <laughs> <Can do. laughs> make him a very busy man but yeah i mean how do we i mean it all goes down to syllabus doesn't it and, well, and the problem of not being able to modify old syllabi it does come down to your current course providers as well i think a lot of them are changing i think a lot of them have also done gary's course <laughs> so we're also promoting that kind of MI techniques as they go and getting that story from the people they see. That was interesting you just said. So you think that a lot of the, the newer course providers have done Gary's course. Oh, as in as in I'm getting confused with my Gary's now, as in Gary Mendoza <laughs> as opposed to Gary Ben. I was thinking Gary Benson hasn't got a course. He spent his whole life saying that PA <laughs> should not, not give courses. That's why he set up the STA. The STA is all about not providing Sorry, courses like other organizations do. So that's that just I suddenly felt a bit sick when you suggested that Gary Benson does a course. It's never gonna happen. But yeah, um it's yeah, I mean private this is where private helps, isn't it? Private tutors of level fives and stuff and and basically sadly the more expensive ones are giving out a better quality information because they can play around with tweaking things but the mass ones which are churning out many more pupils um ready with their cups to jump on people i think the private ones have to though if you if you want to stand out i think you have to provide that bit more you you have to give that kind of look this is where it's evolving this is where education's going and this is how we need to use it and I also think it's quite logical when you hear it in person as well. You're like, oh, yeah, that does actually make sense. Because if you look at yourself as a client, you would probably want that. Hmm. It's I as soon as it's objective. To some degree, you need people to go out there and maybe get a little bit of experience first. Because then they're going to know, oh, well, that's a problem I've had quite often or, oh, I often get that with clients or whatever. Because then when you then talk to them about motivational interview and behavior change, they can then see where it would fit. Whereas sometimes when you talk about it, when you've, you've never actually done it, maybe you can't see the value of it. So you might have a bit of a catch 22 situation in that ideally we'd want to train people from the get go to have those skills. But then will people pay to get those skills unless they realize the value of them? I think the trouble is the biggest obstacle 
to your way becoming the right way is confirmation bias. We've talked this, we've talked about this before on different yeah. on different shows. That the strength of old school hands-on operator approach is you don't remember the people who came in with a painful neck and they had symmetrical shoulders or the people who came in and the muscle that was actually quite floppy was the one that was hurting them as opposed to the kind of taut one. And, and, and so many soft tissue therapists now think that they are healing everybody when in fact 40, 50% of their clients are not coming back or they're not talking to them. They only remember the times it works and that's really tricky. So, I mean, I think that's the start. I think therapists need to have a more of a critical kind of view about how to keep their books to see what success they're actually having. If therapists realized how much money they're losing by people not coming back, then I think they'd be looking for another model. But um, at the moment, a lot of younger therapists don't. They really believe that everything they do um, is actually curing. Um, so that's the tricky thing for me. Well, it, it kind of ties in. I did a webinar back in end of January, I think it might have been, on interpersonal skills. And it was how important your interpersonal skills are to a client's success. And what all the literature shows in therapy and with therapist counsellors and so on, the role of the actual therapist, counsellor, whatever, is as important as what's going on with the client. In other words, that client will only get success providing the therapist, counsellor, whatever it is, has the correct level of interpersonal skills. And one of the ways you develop those interpersonal skills is by opening yourself up to feedback and criticism. And so too many people, like you say, they, the client goes out the door, but actually they don't bother to get a feedback form from them or whatever. They don't bother to record some of their sessions and maybe have a mentor that's looking at this and going, yeah, you're not bad, but actually, did you realize you did this? Because sometimes we get skills that are so embedded we think we're doing a great job and it takes somebody else looking at it from the outside to go, do you know what? You could improve that. You could do better. So in order to increase expertise, you need feedback and you need mentorship and you should never get to a scenario where you think, yeah, I've got this sussed. I don't really need any help. Yeah, Interesting. So course providers should stay more in contact with their, it shouldn't stop when she finished and passed your exam. There should be a, continuous kind of checking and peer and mentoring and kind of observations and stuff like that i, I think that would be really powerful not only mm. from a course provider's perspective because then they will get to know what you know they mm. will see over time then oh hang on that aspect of the course couldn't have been taught too well because all our therapists seem to do a b c d mm. but equally the therapists then kind of get well they've got somebody to look up to and help them and also they're continually thinking about their practice and thinking, how could I do this better? And that is what's going to make them a better therapist is never getting to a point where they think, God, it's us now. Absolutely. I think maybe getting, so I've found somebody to mentor me who is not my course provider, who my course provider is brilliant, but sometimes getting different perspectives as well, rather than, just that of the person that you've learned from is quite good. I think it's good. You get then you get a broad range of ideas and yeah, theories. 
This is classic education, isn't it? If you work in like education, it's all about peer observations and it's just like regularly done. You have to have them done every quarter. At least someone else will come and observe you and you have to have feedback. And it's, but in our industry, it's not. You're given these tools and that's it. Goodbye. Open your business. And you just do that for 10, 15 years to all these. And it's crazy because it's health. I mean, it's like we're looking after people's health and people in pain. So you can get strange. stuck in a box though, can't you? Especially if you work on your own because you've got mm. no one to tell you what you yeah. are doing right, what you're doing wrong. May not be wrong, but how would you criticise if you've got no feedback anywhere? Well, it's like Penny here says from Soma Sports Massage Therapy, which is now on the screen. Gary B is right to ask that. It's connecting with other therapists that help. So yes, the STS is a good start. So yeah, this is what a professional association should do. Professional associations, maybe within a professional association, there should be some form of observation inviting people to come and see what you're doing and then have a chat about it or even if it's done by cam with patient consent obviously or something like that just to mix and have critique you know be ready to be criticized and not see it as competition or you know um slander it's yeah so useful having somebody watch you it's a good thing it's a good thing yeah definitely well well, i think an organization such as the sda form peer groups within it so, because then, like you say, a bit like with you guys, when, when we did the workshop, each week you were sending me a video and then I'd give you feedback on it. Mm. You learn far more from that than oh, just massively. going away for a week and the following Hugely. week coming back thinking, yeah, I got that all right. But when you get They're very through, awkward. Yeah. <laughs> lovely. It's big brother knowing that someone's going to be looking at what you've done. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, that's a good part of the course. Right, talking of the course, I want to go into a few more of the aspects of what's in the course, which will kind of ring some bells and make people think, oh, yeah, that could be useful. So, oh, which acronym do I choose? We talked about, (laughs) there are a lot of acronyms, but when they're put into context, they're actually really useful. Let's go into, I'd I'd like to talk about, we did the writing reflex. I want to talk about reflections. I think that was nice. I think reflections isn't everything, obviously, and it's got its own place inside the oars, which we'll come to in a minute. But yeah, Gary, could you break down essentially what reflections are and how they can differ depending on what you're trying to achieve? Yeah. Okay. So, so the purpose of a reflection is basically to close the communication loop. If you look at Thomas Gordon's model of communication, we're all sat in now talking. So I think of something I want to say. I then put that into words. I speak them. You guys hear those words. You now put your own meaning on whatever I've said. Now, if I don't check that, it could be that you've now gone away with the wrong meaning. So we haven't actually closed the loop. And so what a reflection does is it reflects back. And so we close that loop. We make sure that we've got the correct understanding before we move forward anymore. And so then reflections can then be broken down into kind of different modalities. You've got very simple reflections, which just kind of repeat what the client has said. You might paraphrase it a bit, change a few words, but generally give. So the client says to you, oh, I've got a bit of a sore neck and I feel stiff in my shoulders. A a simple reflection would be your neck's a bit stiff and you're feeling a bit sore and you want to kind of do something about it. Now, they haven't said that bit, but I've added it on. So then we can move into more complex reflections, which kind of take a guess at what their meaning is. So they've said something about their injury and you've got a fair idea in your mind what you think it might be. And so with a more complex reflection, you might take a guess at that. It's, it's what we, that particular one is called continue the paragraph. 
So you kind of mention the words they've used, but then you add your own little kind of sentence on the end that says, and you think it's due to this, that, and the other. They haven't said that, but you mm -hmm. take a guess. Now, if you've guessed right, your client's going to go, wow, he's, he understands me or she understands me. Mm -hmm. And if you've guessed wrong, your client will go, no, no, it's not that at all. What it really is, is this, that, and the other. You've now got a whole bunch more of information which which you don't have to go and ask more questions. So it, it moves the conversation away from being an interrogation into much more of a mutual communication session where we're all learning something. And so reflections are really, really powerful because generally what a reflection will do is it will get the client to give you more information and it will also ensure that there is no misunderstanding whatsoever within that consultation. Brilliant. And that's, that's, that's perfect. It's such a nice example of something which you do on the course. I want to see if we can remember doing this on the course with Steph and Tracy. It's, it's, it's a classic example of, it sounds so easy, but then you put into little groups in breakout rooms, not even Gary there, it's just the three of you practicing and, and all sorts <laughs> of things can go wrong, can't they, Steph? Oh, loads, loads. You get paid with you. <laughs> I know. Okay, I I'm going to apologise for that now, Steph. But some of Honestly, is that everything? And then, and then it just went dead. It was just like a tumbleweed. Like, I can't think of anything. I can't, literally, it just went... <laughs> But it was, I mean, we had to practice these reflections, didn't we? And, and it just, at first, it just doesn't feel natural, does it? But then you start realizing, even when you're on the other side, so we were like in, in pairs, weren't we? And, and then one person, we were talking, explaining what we wanted to do, something we needed to change. And the other person was doing a simple reflection, like Gary's outlined. And the interesting thing was, the person who was explaining what they wanted to change understood what it was like to have somebody reflecting and we started opening up ourselves didn't we and yes. we understood by doing this pair work of the effect of just sitting there and and doing simple reflections and then maybe chucking in like a clever continued paragraph it's it was a beautiful amazing way of showing the power of language and how like you said gary it turns it from an interrogation um into a facilitation a chatting with each other and and directing and guiding a little bit have you got any particular memories of Steph or Tracy of, of the time we spent together? Not me. I mean, in the in the chat room, some of the reflections and things that made that you know on your minds. I've got one I remember, which I'm going to mention. I wonder whether you have got some which you remember practicing or. I don't think I've got any particular ones. I just remember it being really quite challenging. Like it's harder than you think it would be mm. to do when you're in that moment. And you're, you know, you're trying to listen and take in everything that they've said and then trying to think of what you're going to say back to them. It's really quite difficult. Really I think is. that was the biggest thing. That was the you need to listen. So you're not writing anything yeah. down. And mm -hmm. it's like, I actually need to listen. It's like, OK, what did they say? I now need to give this back to you. <laughs> But this is it. And this is something you talk, Gary, it, for a lot of people, it doesn't come naturally. It's hard work. And you said, like, guys, you're going to be tired. You're going to be shattered. You're going to sleep so well tonight. I, I think it's kind of like I said, right at the start of the workshop, we all think or we all like to think we're good communicators. And suddenly on this workshop, I'm saying, actually, you're not. You need to <laughs> you need to learn to communicate differently. And so suddenly, if you're 20 years, 30 years, however old you are, 
you've done that all your life. And now somebody's saying, no, you've got to do this differently. And it's very, very difficult to undo something that is so fundamental to what we do. But it is definitely worth persevering with because you see the difference in clients when you do it well. The rewards are well worth the effort involved. And, and I think Steph brought up an important point. If it teaches you nothing else, it teaches you to listen properly. Because most of us think we're good listeners. Mm. And not till you do something like this that you realize, do you know what? I didn't used to listen properly. Yeah, over certain yeah. things. So, I mean, I'm sure, Steph, Tracy, you've got maybe examples of where through using active listening, you've maybe got more information than had, if you think back to how you'd have maybe dealt with that person six months ago, how much of that information would you have picked up? Oh, and, and I was writing it all down. <laughs> so they're like talking to me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's great. And to be fair, even though I'm writing it down, I've kind of, I, again, I've, I have got it on paper, but I've kind of forget, forgot what they've said to me because I've moved on to the next thing and the next thing. And it's the, the, the lines in between their sentences that I haven't written down. And they're the ones that I need to listen to. That's beautiful. Is that yours? Did you come up with that? Was that one of Gary's? Did I just come up with that? <laughs> I think that was yours. I think I'm going to say Gary. need to the lines between the sentences. Yeah, I'll definitely keep that one, Steph. That, that's yeah. a winner. <laughs> I'm interested, Gary, can you remind us why, because you were quite clear no writing down what because a lot of therapists probably again because it's part of this operator right, thing of example. white coat and a clipboard but you were like no writing people right so i'm here i'm interviewing you i'll keep mm -hmm. eye contact with the camera and you're telling me some information and you go oh yeah and on saturdays i like to go and i'm like oh. mm. two things i've now dropped eye contact so that breaks communication and what is and the one example i always give is you are now fascinated by what I'm writing because it's human nature. And I always use the example of he's writing. I'm a fat bugger and I don't mm -hmm. do anything because you always want to, you always think the worst. And so from a communication perspective, breaking eye contact is not a good thing. And then it becomes worse because now the client doesn't know what you're actually writing and they become almost suspicious of that. The other problem is, the client loses their train of thought. Now, one of the things we teach on the workshop is most of what we do in terms of our lifestyle, how we carry on is subconscious or unconscious. We don't really think about it. We just do these things with that. And so as a therapist, we need to understand how they run their life. And we're only going to get to that if we start to get them to tap into they're subconscious and unconscious. And if every time they say something, we start breaking communication, eye contact and so on, they might never get to the subconscious point. Mm -hmm. Because when I ask anybody a question, your first response is given at a conscious level. It's what we've got access to quickly. And I can go, all oh, right, the answer to that is da, 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 da. Now, if I leave it a bit, and, and as you said, Matt, kind of have a bit of silence, the client's now thinking, oh, he wants me to say something else. What else can I say? They've now got to start accessing the subconscious. But if they've given me that conscious thought and I've gone, 
we're going to be back to finding the next conscious thought. We will never get to where what Bill Miller, who's one of the founders of motivational interviewing, says, we will never get to the good stuff. And it's the good stuff we need because that's what's running the show. You're always just restarting that conversation, aren't you? you you've broken it. So then you've got you've made your job harder because you've got to find another question to get it going again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got you've almost got to kickstart it every time. And then we fall into the classic, what we would call the question and answer trap. And and so now the client just feels like, you know, when they first meet their therapist, oh right, what's your history? What's your diet like? Who's your family? But and it's like there's a whole ream of questions. We could have got all that information if we'd used reflections. Mm -hmm. And there's really good examples online where there's one question at the start of a consultation and everything else is reflections. The consultant, the therapist, whatever, never asks another question. They just reflect all the time. Mm -hmm. And all that information will just naturally be given up. I think that's so important with the subconscious side of things, especially when you're working with people maybe with chronic pain conditions where there might be quite a few factors kind of contributing to their pain. The, the thing of letting them tap into their subconscious to actually maybe start thinking a little bit more about what things in their lifestyle might be contributing to it that they're not really consciously considered before. I think that's really useful with that. Definitely. And I think that highlights another good point. If you've had chronic pain for a long time, you've most probably, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not a therapist, but you've most probably made adjustments to the way you do things so as you don't get enough any more pain. Now, you might not be aware that you've made those adjustments. And it's only through kind of this type of good communication that as the therapist, you will pick up on. Well, did you realize that you do that now to kind of compensate for that or whatever? Definitely. That was one of the great things about the course, because I think having the chance to to work with somebody else and, and role playing essentially so one of you is the therapist one of you is the patient it really reminded you because as therapists we th we we often do a disservice i think to our patients because we aren't in pain ourselves and if anything we 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 think it's gonna be a bit weird if we're pausing and giving them time to open up it's gonna be like we're invading their space it's like a bit strange it's like that kind of aunt who's a counselor and whenever she comes around she sits you down and and you feel like why does she keep pausing and looking at me I'm, I'm not i don't want to talk to her and open up but when someone is in pain they actually they want you they need that they want the therapist to pause and show empathy and listen and and have those silences because it's helping them get out what they need to get out so one of the things i really enjoyed from this and it's always it's it's always useful is to remember what it's like to actually be a patient, to be in that situation, mm. to, 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 to feel how nice it is to actually have somebody just pause and look at you and kind of just wait for you to open up more. And you thinking, wow, oh, this person's actually listening. Now we all felt that, didn't we? We all felt like we were really being looked after by each other, even though we were role playing. That's why, that's why I felt anyway. Yeah, even though you've made up the sentences, it's like, oh, I'm really yeah. getting into this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it made no difference for yeah. that moment yeah. in time. Just because of that way of talking, you actually felt like it's just your human interaction. You felt this person's really caring. You forgot that they were just role playing. This is what I wanted to mention because it was another classic example again of what we do on the course, which made so much sense. And I know Steph, you struggled with it a little bit. That's why I want to raise it. But um, do you remember the bit about the intonation? I think it was quite early on. Where we had to talk to each other, but you couldn't go up at the end. 
Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did it even more when I was paired with you. I couldn't stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't stop. You turned into an Australian. It was amazing. Gary, talk us through the, the why that's such an effective, or what the idea of it is, of not intonating at the end. It's it's really fascinating because intonation in voice, you wouldn't think it's it, it makes that much difference. But actually, if you... If you've got, you're trying to gather information and you, let's, I'm trying to think of an example of how to do this. Client says, oh, I, I need, I need to work on my, my strength, should we say. Now, if I go, you need to work on your strength. That sounds like a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas if I go, you need to work on your strength. Now it's a reflection. Now, all I've done is change the intonation at the end of that last word. But how that is received by somebody listening, it, it's fascinating that just that subtle change will change the way somebody responds. And what's always quite funny to me is I've had a lot of Australians do, and, and Kiwis do this course, they naturally intonate up at the end of every sentence. And so they really struggle with this mm. because for them, that is such an awkward thing to do. And they really have to consciously think, toned down at the end no it's a great way even when you were saying it then i wonder whether the listeners to the podcast can hear that difference because when you said you really want to do strength work the natural it's it's a closed question the natural response to that is yeah whereas if you go so you really want to do strength work that's kind of like yeah i do because it's like it's like saying continue you know by going down at the end and it's and it was difficult wasn't it steph wasn't it steph (laughs) yes as i felt But it, it was funny though, because the, the more it kind of went on, the more it's just like the brain's gone. Can't, can't think of anything else to literally give you. Can't think of another question. Open or closed. <laughs> yeah, but it was a nice example. And the only reason I bring it up is not to obviously have a go at you, but it was a nice example of how all of us, you know, everybody on the course is going to have certain things which are tricky. It doesn't come naturally because it's it takes practice, doesn't it, Gary? And I remember you saying even at the end of the course, where are we? Eight fifty four. Even at the end of the course, you were very emphatic in saying, guys, you've got to keep practicing this because if you just stop now, we've had these three kind of um, over the course of three Sundays, wasn't it? We did yeah. Yeah, three, yeah. yeah three Sundays. You know, and, and they were long and they were tiring. And personally, it was like by the time we got to the end of it, we were shattered, particularly Steph. And, and it was like <laughs> you said, you need to continue this, don't you? Otherwise, you, you'll lose it. But to be yeah. fair, it comes back to criticism, doesn't it? Because if you're not getting that feedback... I've probably done that to tons yeah. of people over the years, not realising, thinking I'm eliciting a conversation and I'm not. <laughs> well, it, it comes back to what I was saying. You know, you've come on the course, you're 20, 30 years old. Thank three you. weekends of two to three hours is not going to change the way you talk and communicate unless you persevere with it. It's like learning a new language. It's like I can learn all the words in Spanish. I'm trying to learn Spanish at the moment. But if I did that for three weeks and learned a whole vocabulary, if I don't then go out and use that vocabulary, within three to six weeks, I'll have lost most of that. And so you've got to keep going with it. If, if you really do want to change your style of communication and become a better communicator, then you have got to keep practicing it. Definitely. Steph and Tracy, have you found any ways, I mean, I suppose with clients, are you managing to remind yourself or at the beginning of a session thinking, well, I'm going to practice this or how are you, how are you managing to practice it? So 
I mean, I haven't, because I've only recently started the soft tissue therapy, I guess I haven't really used it too much in work, although I do, so I'm not sure if I phrase that, I do with some of my holistic uh, sort of Swedish body massage clients who are maybe to do with kind of stress management and things like that. So I have been using it in that way. I also, despite Gary saying not to do this, I did actually use it with my partner. And actually it worked really well. (laughs) It was brilliant because... He, well, don't tell myself this, but he's not a great communicator. So it was really useful, actually. Or maybe we don't communicate well together, but it worked really quite well. I, I think so, for yeah, me, it's one of the fun. For one of the, it's one of the fun parts of the course for me. Is you might think, oh, I'm doing this because that will make me a better therapist, a better professional, whatever actually and as i say on the course it will actually make you a better person because you will become a better communicator with everyone and it's surprising how much feedback i've had in terms of my wife and i talk a lot more one of my big mates who i trained as a personal trainer 20 years ago he recently did the the workshop and he said it's helped him so much communicating with his partner because he now he listens more and he said he, he didn't realize that he didn't listen well and so it he learned that other people have said it's really helped with their kids because the way you talk to children it that it's powerful so it it's got use right across your life it's not just about your professional life these communication skills will actually help you in a lot of areas of your life I use the reflections with my three-year-old daughter and it's funny because she responds really well to it and it kind of actually can prevent tantrums and things like that in a way because it's like you've heard them you've acknowledged what they've said to you and you've said it back to them and actually it does it works really well that's really interesting to hear and you know what I reckon there's probably science in that because we're just big kids anyway aren't we if what works for a three-year-old is probably what we need in terms of conversation, having acknowledgement and somebody's listening to us, you know, it's, it's interesting. Well, it comes back to Bill Miller's words another, and Bill's got loads of these really profound sayings, but one of his favorite ones is sometimes all people need is a good listening to. Mm. And it's just so great. true. That's a great saying. That really is. Yeah. Really good. Look, um, I'm conscious of the time. It's 8.59. Wow. Um, I, there's so much more to the course. Obviously, people, we hope, I hope I haven't done you injustice, Gary, with the short, you know, the limited amount that we've mentioned. But there is so much of this interaction. Um, and, and like I say, just a chance to, to role play and, and, and put these ideas into practice. So people who are listening, people in the live lounge, I just want to mention here, Jemmy, um, oh, I can't remember if it's Sopa or Sopa. Let's go with Sopa. Jemmy Sopa said, such great content. Thanks all. I'm at the end of an L4 course and I would have loved for this to be part of the course. Well, hey, you don't have to now. You've got a CPD opportunity, Gemma. It's fine. If you're going to spend your money somewhere, then this may be, um, if it's um, rung true to you, then this might be something to uh, consider doing. Um, Gemma goes on to say... I've done a listening exercise where the partner listens without any interruptions, nods, acknowledgements, etc., and then repeat back what has been heard. A great technique with family. Yeah, sounds like a bit of a guaranteed argument starter for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that. <laughs> Depends. Individuals, we're all different in what we can and can't do. 
Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, and uh, Penny here from Soma Sports says, so basically reflections reassure the speaker that you are listening. It creates connection. We all look for connection, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and, and that and more. Believe me, Penny, that and more. You, there's so many clever tools. I mean, off the top of my head, I think I remember at least 18 in a list of different types of reflection, depending on what you're trying to achieve. And that's exactly what the course cleverly teaches you. Um, it gives you a foundation what to practice. So, yeah, people who are interested in doing the course, Gary, you've actually got one happening on the 16th, haven't you? It starts that starts on Sunday. So nine o'clock on Zoom, two and a half hours, and then further two and a half hours each weekend for three weekends. So anybody so, in the Life Lounge, if you're interested in doing that, there's still spaces on that, are there, Gary? Yeah, they can still book on to that, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, and people listen to the podcast. Yeah, I'm going to put this on the screen here. We can still see you guys or hear you guys, even if I put it in front. Um, if you go to stagesofchange.co.uk, there are details always on there of uh, the next courses coming up, as well as the other courses which are available there as well. And also a very generous amount of videos and explanations. You don't have to start paying straight away for more info, not with Dr. Yeah. Gary Mendoza. He's very generous with the information he gives out in forms of videos and things. So yeah, have a check, go to stagesofchange.co.uk, have a um, look at what's already on the website. And then that's probably the best place to see what up coming um, courses are happening or follow Gary. Um, it, Gary's also manages to somehow find time to put things out quite a lot on uh, Facebook. You've got stages of change. Just look that up or Dr. Gary Mendoza as well. Uh, Instagram. I recommend, I like Instagram because a lot of the visuals, Gary, you put up a lot of the, the great t-shirt slogans, like you said, some people need a good listening to things like that just mean so much in such few words. It's great. So uh, Dr. Gary Mendoza on Instagram or Dr. Gary Mend on Twitter as well. So lots of opportunities um, Tracy and Steph, how are you active on social media? If people are interested in what they've heard today from you guys, where would they go to follow you if they can? Yeah, no, I'm on um, Instagram's probably my biggest one. I tend to put random food pictures on. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and um, where do people see these random food pictures? What is your Instagram address? What is it? I think it's Steph <laughs> underscore coach. <laughs> Steph underscore coach. Well, we'll Steph check that out. Within a, yeah. Yes. Okay, well, I'll check that out and make sure it goes in the show notes. And Tracy, you're active on social media at all? Yeah, so um, only with business, not personally particularly. Yep. But yeah, um, my business is at the Remedy Room, Norfolk. At the Remedy Room, Norfolk. All one word? Yeah. But that's the not Remedy your, Room uh... was already taken, unfortunately, so I had to put Norfolk on the end. <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> so it's that's, uh, got to say, uh, the Remedy Room, Norfolk. Fantastic. I'll make sure these go to the show notes. Um, so, yeah, so there we go, people. Um, Leslie Campbell also did the course. Lovely Leslie has said. Um, so worth doing the course. I loved it. Um, yeah, that's like great. Brian's comment, we had no filters when we were around seven. <laughs> yeah, the age around seven, we actually communicate like this as we have no filters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, I mean, seven-year-olds are normally put in quite so potentially disastrous situations. The decisions <laughs> they have to make don't really have repercussions quite as serious as some of us, do they? Yeah, so they can get away with more of that. Uh, but anyway, right. So, yes, um, Gary, thank you so much for giving up your time. Really appreciate it. And Steph and Tracy as well for coming along as well. I'd love to see you again. Thanks very much. Um, for next week, before I let you go, people, um, next week, we'll continue our focus on CPD. My guest next week is going to be um, 
Ben Cormack, creator of Core Kinetics, been on the show before. If you look him up, you'll get um, an idea of what Ben's all about. Um, he's got some fantastic um, online courses and face-to-face courses, very experienced. I've known Ben for years, probably 12 um, years now since I've originally went on one of his courses. Um, and he's also one half of the Better Clinician Project with Adam Meekins, uh, which is also proving to be a very popular online education platform for MSK clinicians. So Ben will be with me chatting about what he does and his ideas behind CPD and how he thinks um, soft tissue therapists could benefit. So if you are free, if you listen to the podcast and you're free next Tuesday at eight o'clock, just go along to the Sports Therapy Association youtube channel and that's where we'll be but as far as tonight goes um you guys if you can stay where you are don't click any buttons we're just going to shut down the live lounge but thank you once again for coming along and um, whiteness ah, and um (laughs) i hope uh, we get a chance to get together again now make this a regular thing keep in the live lounge thanks a lot for joining us as always people you make it very real for us i do appreciate you giving up your tuesday night so thank you so much for coming And um, I'm sure we'll see a few of you next Tuesday at 8 o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association podcast. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.